Welcome to the New School at Commonweal, a collaborative learning project exploring ecology, culture, and consciousness. Join us now for a conversation with Dr. Sanja Greenwood and Michael Lerner. Today's topic is on nutritional supplement strategies based on human history, current science, and individual needs. This conversation was presented by the New School at Commonweal in collaboration with the Coastal Health Alliance and the Healing Arts Center. Okay, folks. Welcome. Welcome to the New School. How many of you are here for the first time, just out of curiosity? Great. So for those of you who don't know, uh, the New School at Commonweal is our newest endeavor. Commonweal's been out on this site for 34 years. We have 10 programs. Uh, programs for cancer, for physicians, for juvenile justice, a garden, four programs in environmental health, uh, a ocean uh, conservation program, and uh, the new school is our most recent program. And um, we've been going, I think, now about four years with the new school. And these are a series of, uh, of conversations and lectures um, with friends and colleagues from West Marin and around the country. Um, this particular uh, program, I'm delighted that we are uh, co-sponsoring with the Coastal Health Alliance, Mike Whitty and his colleagues, quite a number of, co how many people from Coastal Health are here? If you'd raise your hands just so we can see. There's uh, a number of uh, colleagues and friends from Coastal Health Alliance to whom many of us are indebted uh, not only for our care, but sometimes for our lives. And uh, we just want to express our gratitude uh, for this uh, extraordinary community of healers. Uh, Beth Perry and Mike Whitty and I and uh, Marion Weber and others have been involved. Um, uh, 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 Lulu Drux and others have been involved for, and Patty Bradford, I'm trying to remember everybody who's been in the room with us, have been involved. Uh, for the last few months in some conversations about develop, developing integrative health care services in West Marin. Uh, this is something that the Coastal Health Alliance under Mike Whitty's guidance is very interested in. And it's something Commonweal uh, and Marion Weber and others among us have been interested in for many years. So the, the question has been, there are so many wonderful integrative health practitioners in West Marin and such a deep philosophical, uh, cultural uh, community of those interested in integrative health in West Marin. But the question is, at a practical level, how does one begin to integrate integrative health care with the medical system that exists today, which as all of us know, and Mike and his colleagues would more and agree, is more than broken. And so the question of how we do that is the conversation that we've been having. Uh, what are the practical steps to do that? So this conversation with Saja Greenwood, we regard as the first collaborative endeavor in that regard. Um, Saja Greenwood, as many of you know, is, is a beloved West Marin resident, Bolinas resident, a family practice physician, the author of Menopause Naturally, and uh, has been a student of um, nutrition and supplementation for many years. Uh, I've followed her interest in this. She has a blog on the subject. Um, and so one day I asked Saja if she would be willing to take a first step toward a 
evidence-based uh, an evidence-based approach to nutritional supplementation. That would be the kind of thing that when it developed to a point that we all felt it had been tested and revised enough, would be the kind of thing that physicians, nurse practitioners, and others at Coastal Health Alliance could hand to patients and say, look, you know, here, here is one take on this. Um, I just want to emphasize that anybody who follows the field of nutrition knows how extraordinarily contested this field is. Uh, there are a thousand different theories and many different rational theories. So neither Sajjan nor I pretended that this would be anything definitive. But having said that, Saja uh, uh, does not uh, sell a line of nutritional supplements herself. She has no vested interest of any kind. She is not beholden on the one hand to the medical community that sometimes minimizes the use of supplements, nor does she have a vested interest in, in selling supplements, and um, has really thought about this in great depth. So it's a great privilege and honor to uh, give you Saja Greenwood, who will speak to us uh, for about an hour, is that right, on, uh, on her uh, research on nutritional supplements. Uh, so Saja will speak to us for about an hour, then we're going to have time for question and answers, and uh, I know Saja has some plants in the audience that she uh, <laughs> expects to ask questions, which will give us in turn further information uh, about these supplements. So. Prepare yourself for a sustained uh, conversation, and uh, if you need to get up, uh, the restrooms are out front. There's one in the back here as well. So with great pleasure, Dr. Saja Greenwood. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Michael. It's really thrilling to see you all here. So many friends from the present and years past, um, I'm very touched. And I want to start out by saying, uh, to reiterate what Michael said, that this field has many dilemmas within it. And uh, so I'm just going to illustrate the first dilemma right here. <laughs> so my uh, dermatologist, and I believe that she stands for 99% of other dermatologists has told me that even in the winter, even in January, when I go out, I should be sure to be wearing a hat and sunscreen. And so um, that's fine, but the fact is, the dilemma is, on the one hand, maybe I'm um, not getting skin cancer, and, and maybe I'm not getting as many wrinkles as I otherwise would, but on the other hand, I'm not getting any vitamin D uh, at all. I mean, generally the hats are even bigger than this, and also I generally wear long sleeves and long pants. And so there you are, um, between uh, October and March, you're not getting much vitamin D on your skin anyway at this latitude, but um, with sunscreen you're getting virtually zero. So um, that's, that's the first dilemma, which I hope to be able to take up. But there are others. There's um, plenty of dilemmas in the multivitamin situation uh, concerning both uh, vitamin A and folic acid, which I will be trying to explain. There's the low-dose aspirin dilemma. There's the selenium dilemma. And as time goes on, there will be more. 
So anyway, um, let's get started with the multivitamin dilemma. So yeah, I'll start. Here we are. Um, the multivitamin dilemma. The Institute of Medicine gave new recommendations in 2001, but virtually all brands are, now, are still citing the daily values, DV, from 1968. Um, excess vitamin A, uh, as, which is known as retinol, is common in multivitamins. You should not exceed 2,300 IUs for women or 3,000 IUs for men, but many of them still do. There's something called Consumer Lab, which is um, what I, I will be explaining to you in a moment what Consumer Lab is, but it's, it's, it's the one independent uh, testing uh, uh, place that I know about, and they, so they look at uh, multivitamins and uh, other vitamins, minerals, and supplements. They found that one-third of the multis they tested had significantly more or less of certain ingredients than, than were claimed. And two of the men's multis had excess lead. So that was not good. Um, and multis are important. One of the reasons that they're so important for young women is that if a woman might become pregnant, she should be getting folic acid or folate from food uh, in the first months of pregnancy to prevent neural tube defects. Neural tube defects being things like spina bifida or anencephaly, which are situations where the baby is born without a brain or with inadequate covering of the spinal cord. This birth defects you definitely don't want to have um, as a mom. So um, that's one reason that multis are important for women who may become pregnant, but um, they uh, they don't contain enough calcium for for women and they don't contain enough vitamin D for men and women. So they can't make up for an unhealthy diet and basically focusing on healthy food is a better idea. Well, I think I'd like uh, to go uh, back, Verge, to, um, uh, by the way, I'd like to um, introduce Virgil Levenger, my computer guru, <laughs> without which I wouldn't be doing this. So um, I think I'd like to, um, Actually, now I think I would like to have you turn to your handout. So, how do you deal? How do you deal with the dilemmas which uh, which come up in in the term in terms of supplements? Well, one way to do it, one way to deal with it is to oh, good, more handouts are coming. One way to deal with it is to get some information in the mail or or over the computer that will keep you up to date. So I've picked out three that I think are really the best, um, although there are many, many information sources. Um, so I really like Nutrition Action Health Letter, and I, it's, uh, I think it has over 900,000 subscribers, so I'd like to ask how many people in the room here get Nutrition Action Health Letter? A number of you, okay. 
was founded by a guy called Michael Jacobson, who also founded something called Sci uh, Center for Science and the Public Interest. And um, it's, it's a very powerful center that has um, persuaded uh, the government to make a number of changes over the years. So it was due to Center for Science and the Public Interest and other um, and other people that uh, trans fats were labeled on uh, 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 on items that you buy. Uh, they've also worked on excess salt, uh, excess sodium chloride in uh, in packaged and processed food, uh, excess sugar, and um, they have a very good uh, way of rating a, a lot of, so if you buy in the center of the supermarket, if you buy the proce processed and packaged foods, you will, you will be able to understand which are the best ones and which are the least desirable ones if you read the Nutrition Action Health Letter. It's really good in that regard. The second one that I think is really good is the Tufts Health and Nutrition Letter. And um, that was founded by a, a remarkable man called Jean Mayer, who before, before Jane Brody, uh, there was Jean Mayer writing um, columns on health that were in a number of newspapers. So do any of you remember reading Jean Mayer? Nobody does. <laughs> okay. I think I started reading him in the 50s, and uh, I was always extremely impressed by him. Not only did he work on um, health and nutrition for most people, but he worked on, on, on famine and poverty uh, throughout the world and was a, was a remarkable man. And, and he, brought, uh, he became president of Tufts, and he uh, brought something called the USDA Human Nutrition um, Resource Center on Aging there. So they have remarkable people working there who publish in this, in this uh, health letter. Uh, one of them being uh, Miriam Nelson, who's well known to women as the person who wrote Strong Women, Strong Bones, and uh, many, other, many other books on exercise. And, um, and the other person that, that I like a lot who um, works at Tufts and has published uh, widely on calcium, vitamin D, and bones is Beth Dawson Hughes, one of their researchers. You're probably familiar with her. <laughs> Einar Sawyer, our orthopedic surgeon who's in the front row. <laughs> so anyway, um, uh, the, the third one that I, that I like a lot is called Nutrition Alert. Uh, it's by an independent uh, woman, Elizabeth Somers, and um, it's $15 a year, which is a huge bargain. There are six issues, and one of the things I really like about the Somers uh, publication is that she cites scientific papers, so whatever she says is backed up uh, by, by the references, and so you can be sure that she is just not going off on a tangent, but saying something that is substantial. Then I had mentioned ConsumerLab.com, which is uh, this online independent testing uh, organization. It's $30 a year for access. If you didn't get anything else and you're interested in supplements, you could do really well to, um, to subscribe to Consumer Lab because they do this independent product testing so you know what's good and what's contaminated with lead and what has too much or too little of various ingredients. It has a natural products encyclopedia. 
has a price check, it tells you about recalls and warnings, and um, you can read about anything you're interested in uh, and kind of get the scientific data without being overwhelmed. So there's a number of websites too that can keep you up on um, information, and uh, I've listed them here. So um, I really like the Linus Pauling Institute at Oregon State University. You know that Linus Pauling was a genius, and perhaps he went overboard, or many people feel that he did in his recommendations for, uh, for vitamin C. 20 grams a day was what he personally took, uh, but the Linus Pauling Institute has reversed all that and is, now, <laughs> and is now recommending that people would do well to get 400 uh, milligrams a day and um, preferably like 250 twice a day and I, I'll show that in a vitamin C slide so that so the, they they're very um, they're very careful and scientific in their approach and uh, they are um, a powerhouse of scientific information actually um, one that is uh, easier to uh, understand and also very good is the University of Maryland complementary and alternative medicine website so those are those are good ways uh, to um, to keep up and I've also listed some at Michael's urging, I've listed some ways to um, to buy supplements. So one place that I like a lot is iHerb.com. Uh, it has a wide selection of a variety of of supplements. They ha it has good prices, and it has fast delivery by UPS. So you order something on Monday, it's at your door on Wednesday, which is kind of amazing. And um, Locally, uh, uh, you can get supplements at the Bolinas People Store, for which I can't say enough of thanks. It's a wonderful place. Um, Judith's Herbals, the Palace Market in Point Reyes, Vitamin Express in Mill Valley. And, and also, um, one of the products that I think is consistently good it comes from a vitamin company called Jarrow, J-A-R-R-O-W. And... Um, Bobby Likeover, um, uh, one of the dentists in town, uh, is able to get um, Jarrow products at, at or close to wholesale uh, prices and will uh, help people who want to order through her to do that. So she has a sign-up sheet in, at the entrance uh, of the building that you could sign up for if you wanted to just buy Jarrow. Jarrow products, and you can't go wrong buying them. So that's good. Okay, so let's go back to the multivitamin slide, if you would, please. And um, I'm going to put my glasses on. You, know, you can take your chair and go. I think um, that I'm going to ask you to turn, while, while we look at this, I think I'm going to ask you to turn to the second page on your handout. And we'll talk about um, what supplements are important, not necessarily necessary, but important for people, of, uh, for women and men uh, under 
under 50 and over 50 adults. Um, two things that I said ab about the, um, the multis that are a problem are the excess vitamin A and the uh, folic acid. So f first I'm going to start explaining the excess vitamin A and why it is important not to get it and why it's important to get some. So um, here we go. Vitamin A. Vitamin A is found um, in vegetables in its pro-vitamin A form, which is converted in the body to vitamin A. And as you all know, it's found in yellow, orange, and green vegetables and orange fruits, such as cantaloupe, apricots, peaches, and mango. So you can't get too much pro-vitamin A. You can't get too much beta-carotene. And beta-carotene, by the way, is found in these foods with many of the other carotenes. So that um, as, as a conglomerate, they really uh, help your health in many, many ways. Then there is preformed vitamin A, so-called retinol which is found in cod liver oil, in eggs, in butter and milk, fortified breakfast cereals, and some soy milks. And that's important too. Um, both of these two forms of vitamin A help with vision, help with skin and lining cells uh, of the body, and help with gene expression, meaning getting genes to uh, express themselves in the way that they, uh, in an orderly way in the way that they are programmed to do. Um, and as far as the vision uh, part is concerned, it's, it's not so important in this country because virtually all of us get enough uh, of vitamin A from the carotenes or from the retinol. But in many parts of the world where there's extreme poverty and many parts of Asia, there's uh, night blindness due to of getting a very, very small amount of vitamin A. And um, <coughs> so one of the, one of the uh, poor areas of the world that doesn't have a problem with night blindness is Africa. And I was wondering if any of you could figure out why that's true. Why, why in Africa is there less night blindness than there is, let's say, in India among the poor? What in the African diet is really helpful. What are they eating a lot of that's really helpful? Yeah. Sweet potatoes, yes. <laughs> yes. So sweet potatoes and yams, anything that's deeply colored is, uh, is, is helpful. And, and uh, the World Health Organization is um, looking at a genetically engineered rice called golden rice to see if that might be helpful in uh, in India and uh, in the subcontinent. It hasn't worked out so far, um, but they are also um, encouraging people to eat more vegetables and to grow greens at home as being a, um, a really helpful way. Um, so from, from the point of view of embryonic development, the developing embryo and fetus, uh, too much or too little of this preformed vitamin A can cause birth defects. And um, I don't know how many of you remember that uh, some years ago, uh, Accutane was um, introduced as a, um, as a therapy for acne. And uh, when women took it who <coughs> unknowingly were pregnant, uh, their babies were born with serious 
uh, birth defects. And Retin-A, which is put on the skin rather than taken internally, is believed to maybe have some of the same effects. So that's been very carefully controlled. But one of the big things for Westerners about not getting too much of this preformed um, vitamin A is uh, the osteoporosis story. That some studies show an increased risk of fracture with long-term use of over 5,000 international units a day. And cod liver oil is particularly rich in vitamin A. And one of the ways that this came out was a study from Sweden where uh, in Scandinavian countries people take a lot of cod liver oil daily. Uh, and it's a very good tonic and it's full of vitamin D and as such it's really good for you. But the vitamin A is bad for your bones and so they were doing, uh, d did a study on, on fractures and found that probably the vitamin A, the excess vitamin A was playing a role in that. So, I would say for uh, Westerners, it's not a good idea to take cod liver oil, <laughs> get your vitamin D in some other way, and uh, basically take no more than 2,500 uh, international units of this preformed vitamin A and supplements. Uh, some supplements have 50% of their A as beta carotene, which is okay, but some of them still have too much. Um, so that's the vitamin A story. You want to be you want to be cautious. You want to read very carefully what your if you're taking a multi what your multi uh, contains in terms of vitamin A. Uh, okay, so let's look at the folic acid slide now. By the way, we're going to hold questions for the end. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so when we talk about folic acid, it's what's found in a supplement. And when we talk about folate, it's what's found in food. And if you think of the word folate and you think of the word foliage, you realize that the food that this is found in is greens, green vegetables of all kinds. Um, and you can't get, you can you get too much folic acid, but you can't get too much folate. You can't get, you cannot eat too many greens um, that I'm aware of at any rate. Um, so, these, these substances are, are uh, important in the synthesis of a DNA, in the formation of red and white blood cells, and in rapid cell growth, and such as in pregnancy and childhood. Um, it's essential in the first months of pregnancy to prevent neural tube defects, and I've mentioned that. And that's why a multi is such a good idea for a young woman to take regularly because um, many people don't know uh, that they're going to become pregnant. It sort of happens, and uh, and then if they uh, if their diet is deficient, they're more at risk for uh, for these uh, serious birth defects. Um, because of this, and because of the um, the number of neural tube defects, uh, in 1998, the FDA. Um, decreed that refined grain products in the United States would be fortified with folic acid. And uh, there has been a substantial decrease in neural tube defects since this happened. So that, that, is, that is a very good thing. Um, folic acid, B, vitamin B12 and B6 help to convert homocysteine, which is a, um, an amino acid in the body, to methionine, another amino acid. And 
homocysteine, you may have read in, in the last five or ten years, has been associated with, with heart disease and stroke. It's not a good idea to have high levels of it in your body, although this also has been contested. Uh, the, the, the problems with homocysteine have been contested. Nevertheless, um, these three together, folic acid, B12 and B6, um, give a decreased risk of stroke and possibly hip fracture in those with former strokes. So this is um, folic acid uh, in, in the multi as well as B12 and B6 in the multi may, may well be very helpful. And we have a second slide on folic acid. Um, another reason that folate or, and or folic acid are important. Anemia can occur with low levels um, and also in those with heavy alcohol intake. So uh, for those of you that are healthcare providers, you're aware that when you have a patient with heavy alcohol intake, they're, they're low on a number of nutrients and this, these are serious ones to be low on and, and uh, uh, they can become quite anemic. Um, small amounts of, now here, here is one of the dilemmas with folic acid. Small amounts of folic acid can lower your cancer risk. High amounts can increase it. And this has been shown in animal studies and in human clinical trials. So you don't want to be too low, you don't want to be too high, um, and again, you can't go wrong with food. You cannot go wrong with greens. Um, so folic acid from food is protective in all studies. And uh, there have been, as you're probably well aware, numerous, numerous studies on what prevents cancer. And they all have shown that um, a diet that's high in fruits and vegetables is cancer preventative. It's not going to prevent all cancers, but it is distinctly helpful. And food sources of, of folate, are the green leafy vegetables, broccoli, avocado, sounds delicious, doesn't it? Asparagus, peas and beans, peanuts, wheat germs, citrus fruits, orange juice. Um, and um, since folic acid, uh, it's folate, excuse me, we're talking about food. Since folate uh, can be broken down by heating, eat some cooked, but eat a raw salad daily. That's uh, a very good thing that, to do. Okay, so... Um, Let's go back to the, let's go to calcium now. If you look at your, at your handout, um, for, for women and, and uh, for women, young women and women over 50, calcium is important. Not so important for men. In fact, men can get too much, but we're, we're on the woman end right now. So um, calcium is the body's most important mineral in bones, teeth, and pl plays a, a role in blood. Um, it helps prevent bone loss with aging along with vitamin D. Everyone knows that, actually. Um, it may help women with uh, premenstrual syndrome. Uh, there have been some studies showing that it can uh, cut down on the symptoms of that. But for men, they may have an increased risk of pro prostate cancer with calcium supplements or milk and cheese. And I underline may because this is controversial. Some studies have shown that uh, there may be an increased risk. Some studies have not. But uh, I don't think men need to take calcium supplementation, especially if they're um, 
diet is, um, is good with greens and um, other foods containing calcium. And high salt or high protein content in the diet can cause more calcium loss in the urine. So that's something to remember. Okay, so we have another calcium slide. Um, the sources. Low-fat milk and yogurt, cheese, almonds. Here's some of the things if you don't want to be taking milk products or for men. Almonds, dark leafy greens, dried figs, kelp, sardines, and canned salmon with the bones, which they have both of those at the People's Store, really wonderful. Um, then there's bone soup, so any kind of bones that you might be uh, dealing with, chicken bones, beef bones, fish bones, if you uh, cook it with, uh, cook them with um, a tablespoon or two of vinegar, it will that will help you re release the calcium uh, from the, from the bones, and it will be in your soup. And also, fortified soy milk and fortified orange juice contain calcium. So, as far as calcium supplements are concerned, um, there are. Uh, a lot of those on the market. Calcium citrate or calcium carbonate are both good. Uh, you shouldn't take your, if you're taking a thousand a day, you shouldn't take that, that all at the same time. Take it in two divided doses. And um, when you see USP on the package, it means that they are dissolving okay, because some of them don't dissolve well in the stomach. And um, chewable calcium is, is popular and often in um, chocolate form, which people like a lot. And in investigating this, I found one that I really want to buy. <laughs> okay. It's called Pioneer Chewable Calcium Magnesium Organic Chocolate Sweetened with Xylitol. I mean, how good can you get? That sounded wonderful. <laughs> Pioneer. Pioneer chewable calcium. <laughs> You will not yet. <laughs> okay. So um, let's let's look at magnesium. Magnesium is in the center of the chlorophyll molecule, just like iron uh, is in the center of the hemoglobin molecule. Magnesium sits right there. And so obviously it is found in plant foods. And uh, it's concentrated in beans. It's found in all plant foods, but it's concentrated in beans. And um, in um, nuts. And it's also found in whole grains. I wouldn't say it's found in all plant foods, but it's found in green plant foods. Um, so it's involved in many essential metabolic reactions that produce energy, synthesize DNA and proteins, build bone, keep the heart rate and blood pressure normal. It's real important to get enough magnesium in your diet. And uh, researchers at MIT find that magnesium helps memory and learning in rats. So one person, one person called me up this morning. He couldn't be here, but he said, tell me everything that helps memory. So, <laughs> so anyway, this is the first one we've come across. Um, and um, there are low levels uh, of magnesium in people with gastrointestinal diseases and chronic alcoholism and those with poor diets. 
So the second magnesium slide, uh, people with impaired kidney function may develop excessive levels of magnesium with supplements and should be careful and should consult with their healthcare practitioners about taking it. You're not getting ad adequate magnesium if you take it as milk of magnesia. That's a laxative, not a supplement. It's going to pass out of your body. It's a really helpful uh, for many people, but it's not a supplement. Um, some of the common supplements are magnesium citrate, gluconate, or glycinate. And um, the usual dose that people take is 300 to 350 uh, milligrams a day. And most people can achieve good levels with whole food, especially if you're eating plant food. I love the, um, the saying uh, by Michael Pollan in his latest book, Rules. If it's a plant, eat it. If it's made in a plant, don't eat it. <laughs> okay. Okay. So um, let's go on. Now, those are the calcium and magnesium, those are the two that are sp special for women. But now we're going on to supplements that are important for uh, men and women. So we're going on to vitamin D. This is a big one that's gotten a lot of press, and I guarantee there's no one in this room that doesn't know how important vitamin D is, and probably we're all taking it. Um, so some of the things that it does that are good, it lowers the risk of osteoporotic fractures uh, combined with calcium, and it lowers the risk of tooth loss, which is uh, a, a big problem with aging. It promotes muscle strength and reduces falls in, uh, in older people. And this has definitely been a boon to uh, nursing homes where they've started giving supplemental vitamin D and found, finding that people uh, are falling less and fracturing less. It helps with weight loss when combined with calcium. Um, it helps to lower blood pressure and it helps with insulin resistance in people who have diabetes. And um, high levels are D, of D are associated with lower risks of many cancers. So um, I think the cancer story is, is, uh, is very interesting and very important. Uh, vitamin D promotes normal cell growth and uh, specialization. So cells go the way they are supposed to go and not, not wildly proliferating in cancer with adequate D. Um, so the higher D levels, the, the, the way this has been studied is looking at people who have various cancers and seeing and comparing them in, in a uh, case control kind of study with people who don't uh, have, have that disease. And so higher D levels are in the blood are associated with decreased risk of colon cancer, of breast cancer, of prostate cancer, ovarian, pancreatic, and others. So it's looking good. Uh, it no, has been noted that the lowest amount of breast cancer is found near the equator, where people are getting more D from the sun. There's a, there's a, a very interesting epidemiologist named Cedric Garland at UC San Diego who has gone out on a limb and he said that we could see a 75% decrease in deaths of breast and colon cancer if D levels were brought up to 40 to 60 nanograms per ml. I mean, that's a 
an astounding thing to say, but he's extrapolating from the data that he's, that he's found. Um, here we go on memory. Here's our second one. Um, they're looking uh, at both at Tufts University and in an English study, they're looking uh, at memory among uh, seniors and found that uh, there's better memory and better cognitive abilities among people who have higher levels of vitamin D. Also, respiratory infections and severe asthmas being studied at the University of Colorado. Uh, that vitamin D is helpful with that. Um, so, suboptimal D levels are very common in the United States. Uh, and low D is found in uh, children, people of color, and the elderly. Uh, men do better than women. People of color have, have more problem uh, getting enough D from the sun because, as you know, we all evolved. We're all out of Africa. And uh, in Africa, the sun is very bright, and, or at least in northern and middle Africa. And uh, as we evolved, we weren't wearing this many clothes. And so we were getting a lot, and, and having melanin in our skin, having a, a dark, darkness in our skin, protected us from over, um, overdose of D. Um, but as we migrated north uh, over the eons, our skins got lighter in order for us to absorb more D as the sun's rays uh, got less intense. And... Um, uh, People with darker skins, both Hispanic people and uh, African Americans, have trouble getting enough D uh, when there's, well, uh, e even if their skin is exposed to sun in the summer, they, they get lower levels than, uh, than uh, people with lighter skin do. And this could be one of the reasons that African American men have more problems with prostate cancer. Uh, so it's real important um, if if you have darker skin or if you're a healthcare provider working with people with with uh, dark skin to make sure that they're getting adequate D and um, as a supplement. So they just published in the last couple of days a study from the University of Southern California. It was published in the March uh, Journal of Clinical Endocrinology and Metabolism, and what they said was. 59% of young women, this is in Southern California, of young women whom they studied uh, had uh, low levels of vitamin D and uh, less than 29 uh, nanograms per mL. And 14% within that 59% had less than 20 nanograms per mL. Now the optimum is 35 to 40. So. Um, that just shows that even people who probably, I would think, in Southern California, they're going swimming, they're tanning, whatever, they're still, they're still not getting enough. Um, and what, what happened, what they showed in this study was that uh, they, ha they, they had fat infiltration of their muscle mass. So this was not good. So that's the D story. It's um, developing and, and it's really important. Um, okay, so now we are on vitamin C. Um, vitamin C 
is synthesized. Uh, it, 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 vitamin C is not synthesized in the body. We must get it. Uh, we must get it from our food. And that was something Pauling pointed out. He pointed out that only humans and the guinea pig can't synthesize vitamin D, and the rest of animals can. Um, but anyway, it's important in the, in the synthesis of skin and bones, of tendons and muscles, cartilage, connective tissue, also in the development of both norepinephrine and um, carnitine, which are uh, important um, well, norepinephrine an important neurotransmitter in the body and carnitine, a, um, an amino acid that has to do with energy, uh, has to do with the, um, with, carnitine has to do with the entry of fat into the mitochondria, which are the, the energy producing uh, organelles within a cell. And that's why um, many athletes and older people take carnitine to increase their energy development. Um, vitamin C is an important antioxidant. It protects proteins, including RNA and DNA, and uh, from damage from free radicals. And it improves blood vessel tone in heart studies, so it's been shown to... Um, uh, both lower blood pressure and increased blood flow to the heart. And it, uh, there's decreased stroke uh, risk with higher blood levels. And in people with gout, 1,000 to 1,500 milligrams daily is helpful in preventing attacks of gout. So um, I think we have a second. Yeah, here we go. Um, <clears throat> the cancer prevention studies with supplemental C are not definitive. Pauling advised intravenous C for cancer treatment, and uh, some, some practitioners do that, but not many these days. Uh, the other big thing that people talk about with C is colds. And um, the studies on this are not definitive, whether, whether taking vitamin C will help you prevent colds. Uh, except in elite athletes. That would be like marathon runners and uh, athletes in the frozen north. They seem to be helped uh, by vitamin C, but most people not. Uh, however, there's this antihistamine effect that's really helpful, and probably those of you that have taken um, a gram of C every few hours when you have colds have noticed that you feel a lot better. Your secretions dry up, you don't cough as much, you don't blow your nose as much, you're feeling relief. So that is due to the anti, something uh, to the antihistamine effect of high doses of C. Um, there's, a, there's a couple of cautions. One with, with warfarin, with Coumadin, it can um, it it can make you need more Coumadin if you're taking high doses of C uh, uh, to keep your anti-clotting factor going. And also there is a thought that there may be a risk of calcium oxalate kidney stones, although the data hasn't been very iffy on that. It hasn't really been shown to be a problem. And I told you this before. I thought this was very amusing. 
that the Linus Pauling Institute at Oregon State University is not advising 20 grams a day. They're advising 250 milligrams uh, twice daily. They say that you are replete with 400 milligrams a day and that um, uh, if you eat five fruits and vegetables daily, that's what the U.S. government is advising people to do now, you're only getting about 200 milligrams of vitamin C most of the time especially if one of those is a potato. So, <laughs> or cooked, and because it's destroyed by cooking. So they feel that um, it would be good to take, to take about 500 a day in divided doses, if that's possible. Most people don't take divided doses, don't remember to take divided doses, but at any rate, if you do remember, that will be good. Okay, so we're gonna go on to omega-3 fatty acids. Omega-3 fatty acids, our bodies rely on them and we must get them from food. We don't make them. The brain is made up of 60% fat and omega-3s are essential for nerve tissues, for memory and mood. Um, personally, I, I won't give any other personal testimonials except for this one, I promise. <laughs> but. Um, it was amazing to me, uh, maybe 20 years ago when I started taking fish oil capsules, that um, some kind of free-floating anxiety that I had had all my life that I had just taken for granted and it was kind of invalidating my experience uh, went away. It was like a miracle. And um, there's been a lot of studies on the effect of omega-3 fatty acids on the brain and on mood. Um, there's a guy called Andrew Stoll, he's a psychiatrist at Harvard, and he's uh, written a very good book on the, um, I think it's called The Omega-3 Connection. And um, he uh, uses, he's uh, been using uh, fish oil for um, depression, for bipolar problems, uh, for mood problems, for anxiety, and so forth. And um, he's published quite a bit on that. So here's another memory one. This is our third thing to do to help your memory. Um, there's a lot of enthusiasm about omega-3 fatty acids, mainly in fish oil that people are getting. Uh, for heart disease, reducing the risk of cardiac death by suppressing irregular beats, by decreasing clotting, uh, by lowering triglycerides, lowering blood pressure, reduce risk of heart attack and stroke. And there have been numerous, numerous studies on this. Um, a very conservative organization, the journal, uh, the uh, American College of Cardiology, their journal uh, just recently recommended 500 milligrams of uh, omega-3s for people with cardiovascular disease and 1,000 milligrams for those with heart failure or serious coronary artery disease. So um, there's also been a study called the DART study, which is um, the diet and reinfarction trial with fish oil and they found a 29% decrease in all-cause mortality in two years with people taking fish oil, taking 1,000 milligrams a day of fish oil. 
There have been similar studies in Italy and in Japan. In, in Japan, people are eating a lot of fish, so they're uh, getting a good deal of it. Um, macular degeneration, a disease of the eye that comes on with elderly people, studies show an association with low omega-3 levels, so that would be another reason to take it. Uh, menstrual pain can be lowered with omega-3s because it quiets the uterus. And it was found years ago that Inuit people and people in Greenland who eat a lot of whale blubber, whose diet is enormously high in fat and in omega-3 fats, have uh, much, much less premature delivery. They, in fact, they have the longest gestational periods of any peoples studied. And it's believed to be due to the high omega-3 content in their diet. Um, colorectal cancer, possibly a lower risk and slower progression. There have been studies on that. Um, so this uh, is found, as you all know, in fatty fish, salmon, mackerel, sardines, herring, halibut, and fish oil capsules. Um, and for vegetarians, uh, walnuts, flaxseed, pumpkin seed, and purslane have um, a an acid, uh, alpha-linolenic acid, which is converted, but converted incompletely to the fish oil uh, omega-3s. Um, most people wonder what purslane is, but here in West Marin we know that when the farm stand opens they have purslane, and uh, it's, a, it's a common weed, uh, or has been considered a weed, although it's um, been eaten a lot in Greece and Mediterranean countries uh, for its health benefits and recently it's been found that one of its big health benefits is this alpha-linolenic acid that it has. Okay, so here is my final uh, recommendation of uh, important um, important supplement for for people uh, under, under 50, men and women uh, under 50, and that is uh, probiotics. Probiotics, you all know, I'm sure, are living bacteria, and the important ones are lactobacillus and bifidobacillus, although there are many, many different kinds, and that uh, have been found to benefit health. Um, they help to prevent diarrhea from infections and from antibiotics, so when you're on antibiotics, it's a really good idea to be taking a probiotic at the same time. Um, it's been found that they reduce childhood allergy when given to pregnant women and to newborns. Um, this is a really important one for women, uh, that uh, giving probiotics orally uh, reduce vaginal and bladder infections in women, not sexually transmitted diseases like, like uh, chlamydia or gonorrhea, but just your garden variety vaginal and um, bladder infections, um, which are common in sexually active women and also in older women. Um, so uh, another important thing about, about probiotics is that they have been found to reduce the recurrence of superficial bladder cancer. And uh, this was a uh, these are studies that were done in Japan uh, and um, have been um, uh, replicated in this country 
and people with uh, superficial, that's like early stages of bladder cancer, have done very well staying on probiotics for the rest of their life. So um, there's also ongoing research on the benefits of probiotics for irritable bowel, Crohn's disease, and ulcerative colitis, which are all, as you know, diseases of the bowel, which can really reduce people to um, a, a very painful uh, and debilitated status. Um, they uh, may enhance general immune function and reduce respiratory infection in children. I, I feel like they go along with vitamin D to, uh, to really help reduce your risk of, of flus and colds and things like that. So how do you get them? Well, you can uh, eat yogurt with living cultures. And uh, we're, again, we're blessed here in West Marin to have this wonderful Strauss yogurt that has definitely living cultures uh, of uh, probiotic bacteria in it. Or you can take a capsule. In most cases, the capsules should be refrigerated. And um, you need to take them every day. Uh, continued use is necessary. And uh, Jarrow products, again, that's that really good supplement house. Uh, they're good and they're locally available here in Bolinas. You can get them down at the People's Store. And if you want to stay well, I think it's a good thing. <laughs> Maud knows I'm always pushing probiotics on her family. <laughs> she lives right across the street. <laughs> okay. So now, for older people, this men and women over um, 50, I've added one more. Um, recommendation and that is vitamin B12 and I'll explain why. Um, vitamin B12 is important in normal functioning of the brain, back to the memory, uh, the nervous system, genetic material, and in the synthesis of hemoglobin in red blood cells. Um, a recent Oxford study was just absolutely astounding. Okay. It was called the Optima, Optima study. And um, what they showed, they took 107 people from the age of 61 to 87, and they did um, brain scans on them. They did memory testing, and they did physical exams. And they had a five-year period where they followed these people. They found that those with higher B12 levels were six times uh, less likely to experience brain shrinkage. That's a lot. Six times less likely to experience brain shrinkage over this five-year period. And um, none of these women, uh, none of these people, excuse me, they were women and men, initially had what you would call low B12 levels. So it's, they, weren't, they weren't dealing with people with pernicious anemia or anything like that. They were dealing with normal people, what they thought were normal people, but those with the highest B12 had the better um, preservation of their brain size. Um, so B12 is bound uh, to protein in foods from animals, fish, meat, poultry, eggs, and dairy. Mollusks are especially, uh, that, that would be oysters, clams, that kind of thing, uh, especially high in B12. But they're not, it's not found in plant protein. And what happens is that there's um, stomach acid, pancreatic enzymes, and a protein called intrinsic factor 
secreted by the stomach that separates B12 from protein food and allows it to be absorbed. And if you don't have intrinsic factor, we can go on to the second one, uh, you're not going to absorb it well enough. Um, fortified breakfast cereals are an important source for vegetarians, very important source. Um, now, 10% of people over 60 have some degree of decreased stomach acid and can develop B12 deficiency. A smaller number have a disease called pernicious anemia with serious symptoms that need to be taken care of medically. Um, Long-term use of these various acid-reducing compounds that people, a lot of us take, a lot of people take, Prilosec, Nexium, Tagamet, Pepsid, or Zantac, reduce acid secretion and can result in B12 deficiency. So if you're taking one of those, especially if you're not just taking it occasionally, but if you're taking it on a long-term basis, you should definitely be uh, considering supplemental B12. Uh, and alcoholics and vegans are also at risk. Now, how do you take the supplements? It used to be that you went to your doctor and got a B12 shot, but that was, you know, very, very inefficient, and uh, people got them once a month, and uh, that in, in the current climate of, of medical care uh, reform and problems, that, that really doesn't work that well, but you can get the same results by Letting the, letting the tablets absorb either in your cheek or under your tongue. That's, that's called buccal or sublingual absorption. It goes right into the, the, the mouth and the tongue are, are, are uh, full of blood vessels. So when you put one of these tablets uh, in your mouth and let it absorb, and, but don't swallow it, just let it absorb, you will uh, get it into your bloodstream. And... Um, No, go, just go back for a minute. Yeah. So I wanted to say that the tablets have 500 to 1,000 micrograms and are absorbed directly into the bloodstream. Yeah. Okay. Okay, yes, go on to the next one. Thank you, Virg. Actually, no. No. Yeah, go back up to the top. So I have finished with going over the um, the supplements that I think are important for you to consider on on a regular basis. Everyone is different. Some people don't want to take any at all and that's fine too if you eat well and if you're young and healthy. Um, other people take a lot of supplements so I'm open for questions for uh, yeah, Peter. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be the first of the plants. All right. <laughs> Would you comment on vitamin K and its reputed effect on bone density? Yeah, thank you, Peter. <laughs> yeah, so we've got a vitamin K slide. <laughs> Wait, yeah, good. Um, vitamin K, as you know, or certainly any of you that have taken Coumadin know, is essential for blood clotting. And... Um, uh, Coumadin warfarin inhibits its action, so the two kind of uh, fight with each other. And it's important when you're on Coumadin to have a, a, um, a regular uh, level of green vegetable intake, green vegetables being where vitamin K is found. Um, so low levels of vitamin K 
result in easy bruising and bleeding, and uh, liver damage or liver disease may give low levels, and that certainly would be true of people who get a lot of their calories from alcohol. Um, studies have shown that men and women with diets low in K have significantly higher hip fracture rates. That's been a very important uh, fact. Um, and vitamins D and K act together for bone strength. So uh, it's generally found in green leafy vegetables and it's also found in oils. So in olive, canola, and soy oils, they're all good sources of vitamin K. And uh, some is made by intestinal bacteria. Um, the University of Wisconsin is studying what they call MK4, which is formed in the gut. Uh, and uh, they're looking at that versus, versus regular vitamin K from food for fracture prevention. MK4 is being used in Japan uh, to, pr uh, for women with osteoporosis, uh, and women and men with osteoporosis, uh, to prevent fractures. Um, prolonged use of broad-spectrum antibiotics may reduce K synthesis by bacteria. So that's something to think about, and uh, it's another reason to have Pro, to take probiotics, have good bacteria in you. Um, so uh, eat at least one cup of leafy vegetables or a big salad daily. Vitamin K is heat stable and um, so uh, you don't have to worry about cooking it. But um, I'll quote Michael Pollan again, drink the spinach water. <laughs> okay, and I, I want to just uh, go over what was found with the nurses' health study. I don't know how many of you have heard of the nurses' health study. A lot of you, yeah. The nurses' health study is this amazing study that's been going on for the last ten or fifteen years, of of, of many many thousands of nurses throughout the United States. Uh, they fill out a questionnaire every two years, a very detailed questionnaire on their health and uh, on the supplements that they take and the food they eat and their exercise practices and everything like that. And uh, so they looked at 72,000 women over a 10-year period and uh, they found that um, those in the lowest quintile, so they're dividing them into five parts uh, of vitamin K, um, had 30% higher fracture risk. Then there was the Framingham Health Study. Just about everyone's heard of that. How many of you have heard of the Framingham Health Study? Just about everyone's heard of that one. That's a, a health study of, of heart disease that's been going on for many, many years. Uh, they found the same thing, that um, uh, those in the lowest uh, third uh, of, um, of vitamin K content in the blood had a 65% uh, increased risk of hip fracture. So it's a very good idea to be high in vitamin K, which means eating a lot of green vegetables. Okay, any other questions? Yeah, question in the back. Sanja, I'd like to know how to maintain a um, alkaline state in the body. As I understand it, an acid-producing system uh, is really produces a lot, well, it's, it's very hindrance or, or brings on cancer, is, is my point. And that an alkaline state in the body is the healthiest uh, position to have. 
Sanji, would you repeat the question? Yeah, the question, uh, thank you. The question is, how do you maintain an alkaline state in your body uh, th that uh, uh, potentially a uh, more acidic uh, state would, would bring on cancer, and how do you maintain an alkaline state? Well, this is a kind of a controversial area, and I'm glad you brought that up because I think there's a lot of information and misinformation on this. The body does maintain a, um, a, a stable pH of 7.4 in the blood very, very carefully. And, um, however, there are certain foods that can make you more, uh, excrete a more acidic urine, and certain foods that can make you uh, excrete a more alkaline urine, and that is the body compensating uh, for for what you have ingested. So, um, fruits and vegetables in general, even if they might taste acidic, like an orange or a lemon, fruits and vegetables in general uh, give a more alkaline urine, and uh, protein, uh, meat, protein, and grains give a more acidic urine, and. Um, there's been, um, so as far as the cancer situation is concerned, what the, what the cancer studies show uh, is that as far as food is concerned, the more fruits and vegetables you eat, um, the more protection potentially you have. But that does not mean that you should not be eating protein foods or grains. Uh, but just fruits and vegetables in general are protective. And it's generally believed that that is not so much because of their alkalinity as, as because of the enormous number of, of so-called phytonutrients, of, of, uh, of healthy uh, substances that plants have. And the reason plants have these healthy substances is that they themselves are, are fighting off parasites, fungi, uh, uh, viruses and bacteria, and so they have developed uh, over evolutionary time this, these uh, these amazing plant chemicals. And when we eat them, we're benefiting from that. Um, the other thing is, uh, as far as the as having an alkaline urine and, and being more alkaline, there have been some re recent studies done by um, the people at Tufts and others on. Um, whether you could uh, increase uh, your bone density and decrease your risk of fractures if you uh, took uh, um, potassium bicarbonate at bedtime. Uh, you don't want to take sodium bicarbonate, uh, although it, is, it does do the, do the same thing because you can get overloaded with sodium and because it doesn't taste good. But uh, potassium bicarbonate uh, tastes rather good, and um, so this is, a, this is a very controversial area in, in, terms, of, uh, in terms of osteoporosis protection. Uh, some people think it's great, other people uh, completely discard it. So I, I can't say anything more than, than it, it may be helpful, and uh, since you can have too much potassium, uh, if you take it as a supplement, uh, you should be in touch with your health care provider if you decide to take potassium bicarbonate. So, yeah. Uh, you were talking about vitamin D, and there's so much on the amount of vitamin D that has in the last years kind of grown up to more amount. 
Do you have any take on that? Yeah, I do. And if you turn to your handout, thank you. So the question was vitamin D, how much should you take? So if you turn to your handout, um, what, what we're saying is that you want to keep your blood level there's a there's a test for vitamin D, a blood test for vitamin D, and you want to keep your blood level uh, so, somewhere above 35 to 40 nanograms per mL. So you can go to your healthcare provider and get a vitamin D level, and then see where you're at. So it's um, it's safe to start with a um, thousand uh, a day, and then you can titrate it depending on what you need to get your blood level. To get your blood level there. Some people are taking a lot more than a thousand. Some people are still taking 400, which is the daily value from 1968. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You take too much vitamin D. You can. Can you take too much vitamin D? You can. Yes, you can. You can become toxic if you take literally huge amounts of vitamin D. So that's why I really think the safety factor is your blood level. I had that done, and it was very high, and my doctor said it was very unusual. Uh-huh. So now I'm afraid to take it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you might, you know, this person, the question is, can you take too much vitamin D? And she had her level checked and it was very high and now she's afraid to take it. And I can understand that. So one thing to do in a situation like that is to recheck because there's always this thing called laboratory error. And, uh, yeah. So you might, you might want to recheck and see, see where you're at and confer with your doctor. Yeah. Maria. Thank you. Back to vitamin K. If yeah. you're taking Coumadin, how do you get your vitamin K? Because I remember when someone I know went on vitamin K, then there was a whole list of vegetables that yeah. someone couldn't eat. And so I'm sure you can't take a supplement if you're on Coumadin. I don't think it would be a good idea. What, what you want to do if you're on Coumadin, and a lot of people over 50 are these days, is to keep your intake of those green vegetables steady. So you're going to say, I'm going to have a big salad every day and I'm going to have uh, either cooked broccoli or cooked spinach or something like that. Th those are going to be my two greens. And then I'm going to get my INR, that's the, uh, the ratio, uh, the international normative ratio that, that is constantly being checked when you're on Coumadin. I'm going to get it at the right level for this intake and I'm going to keep this intake. And it's hard because if you go away and you travel and you do this or that or you're not hungry for a day, it's, it's not easy, but it can be done. Okay, thank you. Yes. I have two calcium questions. Yeah. Um, one is for men, you, you do not recommend calcium, if I heard correctly, for yeah. men as a supplement. For men with osteopenia or osteoporosis, do you have the same recommendation? And my second question is, I was told by a urologist recently that in the New England Journal of Medicine, they said that by taking half the sort of traditional calcium, by targeting a level of around five to 600, you got the same bone benefit without the, some of the side, some of the risks. Uh -huh. so your take on those uh -huh. Can you repeat the questions? Yeah, yeah. okay. So Claire's first question was, um, if you're a man with osteopenia, that means a low level of, of bone strength or uh, osteoporosis, um, serious lack of bone strength, um, should, you, uh, should, should you take calcium supplementation? And I would say probably you should, yeah. I mean, the, the, uh, the, the, um, the thing that people are concerned about is basically uh, the prostate cancer 
uh, thought, some studies have shown that men who take more calcium have more prostate cancer. Other studies have not shown that. So, um, and in general, in general, men have stronger bones than women. Uh, that testosterone levels help them throughout life. Yeah. Okay. And your second question was just about. This, uh, um, I had heard through a urologist that there were some new recommendations on sort of lowering the recommendations yeah. for calcium intake for women. Um, yeah. And he's a urologist. Yeah. So he looks a lot of kidney stones. So yeah. So he might right. have a particular take on it. But I was wondering if you know you were still recommending. I see in your sheet you're recommending. From I. Yes, I'm recommending 600 for 1200 to 1200 because that is the usual recommendation. But th that is from supplement and food. And you can get at least 600 from food if you're eating greens and you're eating some yogurt and uh, if you're eating calcium-based tortillas and, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, I think that many of the studies on, on bone strength have, have gone with, with six, five to 600. They have not all had 1,000 in, 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 in supplemental calcium. Yeah. Uh, Bill, yeah, and uh, Bill, Tina, and then Lucy. Okay. Do you want to comment on the ingestion of low-dose aspirin? Low-dose aspirin, thank you. That's another plant. <laughs> because it, this is just an, um, thank you, Bill, this is an amazing subject. Um, and so there are so many pros and cons to low-dose aspirin, and in fact, it's, it's not, strictly speaking, a supplement in the sense of uh, that it's usually uh, prescribed by a healthcare provider. Um, but on the other hand, knowing about low-dose aspirin, a lot of people are taking it um, and maybe not talking to their healthcare provider about it. So um, on the one hand, it's helpful in reducing the risk of heart attack and stroke by lowering the amount of, cl of clotting ability of your blood, preventing blood clots. On the other hand, there's an increased risk, and the increased risk is of ulcer stomach ulcers and bleeding, particularly uh, bleeding from the stomach and intestine. So, low-dose aspirin is um, one of the reasons that it promotes bleeding is that it blocks both COX-1 and COX-2, um, prostaglandins, uh, and uh, so the stomach loses its ability to put out the uh, mucus that prevents, uh, prevents bleeding from the stomach. And the stomach is, uh, is constantly secreting acid and is constantly churning, and so it's very easy for a bleeding to occur. Um, so it can, it can increase the risk of hemorrhagic stroke as well, and um, 100, something like 100,000 people a year are hospitalized uh, with intestinal bleeding, and about 40% of these are due to aspirin. So um, it's, it can be a problem, and it can be a boon, and it really is a very individual thing. Um, uh, people who are taking uh, either... Um, Nexium or Prilosec or Zantac, those those uh, medications that um, prevent stomach acidity, uh, have a de decreased uh, risk of bleeding from the stomach. So that's that's one thing. But 
anything that I would say about aspirin has to be, uh, I have to bring up this amazing fact from the Nurses Health Study, which was published in February 2010 in the Journal of Clinical Oncology. So a Harvard study, so what they found was that the nurses who had used aspirin regularly, and they didn't know in this study whether it was the 81 milligrams, the low dose, or whether it was the use of, the, of, of um, higher amounts for, for pain, uh, arthritis, and whatever. But over two years, they were half as likely uh, to die from breast cancer. Yes. Yeah, incredible. Half as likely to have metastases. And a previous study had shown there was more decrease in estrogen-positive tumors. It may be something, it may act something like an aromatase inhibitor, like Femara or those other drugs that women with breast cancer take that prevent the body from turning uh, testosterone-like compounds from the adrenals and the ovaries into estrogen and body fat. Aspirin may have a weak effect like that. So I think you have to say aspirin is in some ways a miracle drug. It's very useful for pain. It's very useful for cancer pain and many others uh, types of pain, uh, headache and menstrual pain and so on. Then it has this potential for increasing bleeding and you just really have to play it by ear. Uh, yeah, Bill. Can one, can one monitor the, the effects of the aspirin, the bleeding and the <coughs> ulceration on one's own? And is it, is it obvious in some way? Can one monitor the effects of increased bleeding on one's own? I don't know the answer to that, and I think it's a, a, great, it's a great question. I know there is a test which is uh, not routinely used about whether you are sensitive to aspirin's effect in promoting bleeding or not, and not everyone is sensitive to that. And so I would have to look up how to get that test and, you know, where to find it and so on. Um, and I will try to do that and maybe write a column about it or something. That's a good question. Um, wait a minute, I had, I had Tina and then I had Lucy. So Tina. Um, if one is taking calcium supplements uh, and avidly eating greens, how important is it to match it with half as much magnesium? <coughs> is magnesium supplementation important or, is, or can that be done with food pretty much? So the question is, if one is taking calcium supplements, is magnesium supplementation important or can that be done with food? I think it can be done with food. Many people do that. Um, so I wouldn't worry about it. Yeah. And Lucy. Can you comment on minerals for eye health, selenium and zinc? There are lots of pills for that purpose. Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, for eye health, thank you. The question is, what about minerals for eye health, like selenium and zinc? Um, yeah, let's have, let's have the selenium slide. Thank you. Um, uh, before I get to that, I would say most of the compounds for eye health are looking at um, are looking at carotenes like zeaxanthin and lutein uh, that are coming from vegetables and um, uh, blue uh, and uh, blue, green, and yellow fruits and vegetables. Um, the selenium story is is an interesting one, and it's another kind of dilemma. 
So um, it is essential for humans in small amounts and it's toxic at high levels. It's needed for sperm development and thyroid hormone synthesis. Uh, levels in the soil and the rocks vary as do plant levels. Um, probably years ago, uh, those of you that are into birds remember that migrating uh, water birds would land in the Central Valley in, in some places that had toxic high doses of selenium and, yeah, and would die from the amount of selenium in the water. So you can go both ways with selenium. Um, there's a deficient, Western China uh, has um, uh, soils that are very deficient in selenium and there, there's something called Kaishan's disease where, where mainly uh, young women and, uh, uh, well, ma mainly children and young women get um, a great weakness of their heart muscle due to lack of selenium. So, uh, um, you've got to get the right amount and you're probably going to get it from these food sources, from organ meats, fish and shellfish, whole grains, nuts, especially Brazil nuts. It's one of my favorites. But I want, I want to go back to what makes selenium such a, um, uh, such a dilemma and it's this uh, effectiveness against cancer because none of us really heard about taking supplemental selenium until a few years ago or this probably was about eight years ago actually, when um, a study looking at um, what could happen, I'm trying to remember how that study got started. Anyway, it was a study of selenium uh, and it was found that certain cancers seemed to be uh, greatly reduced if people were taking supplemental 200 micrograms of supplemental selenium. So everyone started, everyone who follows this kind of thing avidly started taking 200 micrograms of supplemental selenium. Anyone in the room follow that one? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So there are those of us who follow these <laughs> fads and do it, and I, I'm not exempting myself at all uh, from this. So anyway, um, Further studies found that the effectiveness against cancer was very doubtful, and uh, even that um, one of one of the uh, squamous cell skin cancers was increased among people. Further up follow-up studies showed squamous cell skin cancer was increased uh, from taking supplements. So the feeling is now: don't take supplements unless you have AIDS. Um, AIDS patients are greatly helped from supplements. They have uh, uh, lower, um, lower levels of the virus in their blood and they have lower hospitalizations and they uh, are, are generally now, Claire, you're working with, am I right that you're working with AIDS patients? Are you finding that they're taking selenium supplements? Uh, no, they're not. They're not? Like by and large. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So, uh, uh, my, my, my population is, a difficult population is not taking any supplements at all. Uh -huh. it's okay. Poverty. It's poverty. So. Yeah. Okay. So they would not be taking yeah. selenium. So yeah. other populations who might have access might, yeah. might see something different. Right. Right. And they couldn't probably afford Brazil nuts either. No. No. <laughs> no. Um, Anyway, AIDS patients do benefit from supplements, but I would say other people uh, should get their, um, their selenium from organ meats, fish and shellfish, whole grains, 
and nuts, especially Brazil nuts. And Brazil nuts have 50 to 100 micrograms. So even one or two Brazil nuts a day, that's a really good adult dose. And again, when you're eating the whole food, you're much less likely to get any kind of toxicity than if you're taking the supplement. So Alan and I have a Brazil nut first thing in the morning. <laughs> I, yeah. Oh, the significance of the asterisks are that I'm reminding myself to look down at my cheat notes and, uh, <laughs> and get extra. <laughs> yeah. What if you ate a whole bunch of Brazil nuts? I don't know what would happen, but I'm sure in Brazil that, <laughs> that, that people do. Oh, but there's one thing else I want to mention. Thank you, Bobby, about Brazil nuts. And that is that they actually, you know, they're grown in the rainforest down in Brazil and, and surrounding uh, countries. And um, they actually are helping the preservation of the rainforest because, because uh, as long as they're wanting to be exported and uh, the, the forest is not being cut down for soybeans. Um, yeah. Could you comment on MSM? MSM, yeah. MSM happens to be my favorite supplement. <laughs> sulfonyl methane, MSM. It is a substance that is um, replete with sulfur. And remember how people used to go, or they still do, to the sulfur baths to relieve their arthritis and their muscle aches and pains and their joint aches and pains. Well, this is a way, if you're not near a sulfur bath, to get sulfur into your body and to relieve um, a lot of, actually, a, a lot of problematic uh, pain. I would say it's what Alan calls a weak force. It's not like taking a Percodan, you know what I mean? But it, <laughs> if you take it every day, uh, in small amounts. Uh, not everyone gets relief, but um, I definitely do. And what do you find? Yeah, I find them. Yeah. It's gradually. They just started a little while ago. Uh -huh. What's the dosing? What's the dosing? What's the dosing? Um, it comes either as a powder or a pill, and most people start with 500 milligrams to 1,000. Uh, and um, notice those of you that are pet owners, especially dog owners, that MSM is used by vets a lot. Horse owners, it's used a lot. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, it can't be placebo if it works on animals who don't know the science. <laughs> you have some hands over here. So. Yeah, oh yeah, Janet. Okay, um, I noticed you got turmeric there. On the, the yeah. Screen. It's so nice of you to give me a mnemonic device. Yeah. For my planting question. Yeah. <laughs> Would you care to comment on turmeric? Turmeric. Uh, turmeric is, uh, yeah, we've got a turmeric, we've got a curcumin slide. Yeah, okay. The um, turmeric, as you know, is uh, an herb that is used a great deal in India as, as a part of curry. And uh, the, it's believed that the effective part is curcumin. So if you're going to take a supplement, you're going to take curcumin. Uh, it's been used in 
India as a spice and a medicine for thousands of years. It's being studied at MD Anderson Cancer Center, University of Texas, as an adjunctive drug to treat a wide variety of cancers, including lung, prostate, breast, and colon. Um, there have been few human trials so far, but the, uh, the researchers who are working on this actually come from India, and what they uh, have noted is that these four most common cancers in the United States are much, much lower, found much in a much lower state in India. Um, they've also noted that uh, Alzheimer's disease is less common in India, and studies are underway at UCLA and U University of Southern California using curcumin and vitamin D on Alzheimer's patients and, uh, and uh, sad to say, experimental animals that are given uh, substances that would make them have amyloid plaques in their brain and then uh, try to clear it with curcumin. It's also being used in inflammatory bowel disease, Crohn's and ulcerative colitis, and studies underway at the University of Arizona on that. Um, it caution, it should not be used in pregnancy as it can cause uterine contractions, and it should not be used in gallbladder disease because it can cause gallbladder contractions. Um, piperine from black pepper is added to curcumin supplements to enhance its bioavailability. And piperine may do the same with other medications. It's frequently added to botanicals. And a consumer lab found lead contamination in two curcumin products, Nutraceutical Sciences Institute and Solgar. I was really surprised at Solgar because that's considered a very reputable um, supplement house. And um, hopefully they've cleared that up. But um, anyone, I'll just ask, uh, anyone in the room taking curcumin? Yeah. <laughs> so a few, a few of us. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, wait a minute. I, yeah. Wait a minute. I, I think I'll, I can't see who you are, but I'm. Yeah, it's okay. Pam. Love, yeah. Hi. Yeah. I'd hi. love to see the CoQ10 slide that went by quickly. Oh, okay. A little discussion about that. <laughs> okay. Oh, but this is to do with this. Can oh. you take the turmeric cap? Yes. You know how they have turmeric in a cap that you can buy? Like as if you were making a capsule of turmeric powder. Oh, no, I don't know about that. Oh, they sell that at Vitamin Express. Uh-huh. Oh, okay, well, so, so you take curcumin. Curcumin, yeah. Okay, well, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that either. Okay, well, I'll get some and, and we'll look at it. Okay, mm -hmm. good. Saja. Yeah. May I ask you a question just back again about the aspirin? Yeah. When you were referring to all the bleeding yeah. and various syndromes, were you referring to enteric coated aspirin or non enteric coated aspirin? I think both. Both. I think so both. There's no it. difference really. Well, they both uh, they both ha have the same effect on 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 the prostaglandins that protect they do. the stomach. Uh, yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. Yeah. CoQ10. Um, CoQ10. Yeah, we're going to and then then Bonnie. CoQ10 and then Bonnie and then you. Okay. Okay. So uh, CoQ10 is made in the body. It is, um, it is uh, found, uh, found in mitochondria, which are, again, the energy-producing organelles in, in our cells. Um, and uh, UC San Diego 
uh, has been especially interested in studying CoQ10 for a number of indications. So they've found that uh, 1,200 milligrams a day uh, is helpful in early Parkinson's disease. Um, there's a significant lowering of blood pressure when taken with the usual blood pressure medications. And I want to find my slide on that because that is just amazing. What, uh, this is a study from, um, I'm not that well organized with my little slides here, but I think I can remember it. Um, it's an Australian study from 2007. They did kind of like a meta-analysis, that is a, a, study, a study of the studies that have been done on. Uh, CoQ10, and they found uh, in 12 trials that they got this quite significant reduction in blood pressure, Twelve, uh, 17 points systolic and 10 points diastolic with um, using with, and people who are using CoQ10. So it, it really, um, this published in the um, Journal of Human Hypertension, and it, it really has not been taken up by uh, cardiologists uh, in this country at all, but it's a pretty safe um, supplement and uh, a lot of people have high blood pressure so it's something to definitely talk to your healthcare provider and consider uh, taking it if, if that would be... How do you spell it? Co, it's coenzyme, coenzyme Q like queen, 10. Yeah. Saja, do you have any more slides that you want to be sure to put up that you haven't put up? In other words, were there any other? Uh, there's, the there, there's the green tea slide. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. <laughs> good, good. Yeah. Oh, that's what Bonnie wanted yeah. to do. Good. Okay, we're doing the green tea slide. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Virgil. <laughs> so, um, green tea. It's green tea are the unfermented leaves and they have high levels of antioxidants, of polyphenol so-called, or antioxidants. Uh, it's being studied for cancer. There's a National Cancer Institute trial, a University of Arizona trial, Cal uh, Universities of California, Wisconsin, Case Western Reserve have all, are all looking at green tea uh, for cancer. And one of the, one of the reasons is that there's a number of mechanisms by which cancer cells are um, prevented from duplicating. And these mechanisms are things like anti-angiogenesis, that is stopping new blood vessels from growing around a cancer. Um, gene expression, causing genes to replicate uh, proteins and cell division regularly rather than irregularly. Apoptosis, which means uh, programmed cell death. So if cancer cells die rather than keep on replicating, that's a good thing. And uh, preventing metastases, that's another good thing. It seems that some types of chemotherapies act on one of these, some act on another. Green tea acts on all of them. Um, there's no money in green tea. Uh, it's delicious. It's delicious. Uh, but it, it, as, as far as using it as a medication, it's 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 um, these these natural products these botanicals are unlikely to go anywhere. Uh, I mean, I'm kind of amazed that the National Cancer Institute is doing a trial on this because um, because it's expensive to do clinical trials, and it must be that they uh, think it's pretty useful. 
It's also being studied for heart disease in Greece. It's being studied for glaucoma in Hong Kong. And here's another memory one. It's being studied for memory. Um, it's also studied for help with, uh, with dental caries, arthritis, weight loss, inflammatory bowel disease, and diabetes. Uh, um, so green tea is easy to drink, it's delicious, and um, I want to tell you about a recent uh, Chinese study that really impressed me. Okay, this study was done by the University of Perth in Australia. They went to China and they, uh, they compared women with and without breast cancer and they matched them for uh, breast cancer risk factors like um, a, a close relative with breast cancer uh, and that kind of thing. Um, and what they found was that the women who ate mushrooms half a third of an ounce daily had a 64% decreased risk of having breast cancer. And the women who added green tea to their mushrooms had an 89% decreased risk of breast cancer. And that was published in the International Journal of Cancer in 2009. They were, they were not like they were shiitakes or maitakes or expensive mushrooms. They were white button mushrooms mainly that these women were eating. A third of an ounce daily. So it wasn't a lot, but this is the kind of study that you know, it's it's really lucky that some people are doing it, and um, yeah, so the more they drank, the better it was. <laughs> Saja, why yeah. don't we say about two more questions? Two more questions, yeah. and then we're done. Okay, so I'm going to do Jenny, and I'm going to do you. So I'll do you first, and then Jenny. Uh, I was interested in the. <laughs> well, wait a minute. I'm going to do her first. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. I don't know your name. You talked about magnesium, but I've always been told it was um, in. It was like half of the magnet of, of the cancer, <coughs> well, in my, or, or sometimes more. And in my case, when I take the supplement, particularly without taking a lot of extra magnesium, I get muscle spasms and sometimes even weird things in my heart. Uh -huh. um, what do you think about you know some of these higher, you know, recommendations maybe for specific conditions, and particularly magnesium? Uh -huh. A lot of things it's supposed to help. Ma magnesium so, does help with a lot of things. Thank you for the question. So the question was that if she takes other supplements or calcium I think you're saying without magnesium that she gets uh -huh. she gets muscle spasms and uh, other symptoms so many people um, find like calcium alone to be quite constipating and magnesium helps them do, uh, get rid of that and um, magnesium can be very helpful like for example before with atrial fibrillation before there were uh, the current um, drugs that there are, they used to give intravenous uh, magnesium and stop the, the irregular heartbeat. So it's, it's an amazing compound and, um, and should be, um, sh should be uh, used by everybody in terms of food and by people like you. It's totally safe to take, you know, in terms of, of, of a supplement. Yeah. Jenny, your our last question. Kind of related to, uh, in terms of uh, tea, does decaffeinated make a difference? And uh, organics um, with nuts, I know there's a lot of spray of nut trees. Should you avoid taking the nuts if they're not organic or actually any of the foods? 
but particularly is decaffeinated green tea make a difference in its well, I think it doesn't. I think that decaffeinated green tea is, is uh, as effective as caffeinated. That's been studied for both coffee and tea. So that's a good thing. And as far as nuts are concerned, because they are surrounded by the husk, they're probably less likely to uh, be uh, impacted by the herbicides and, so and pesticides. Peanut would not be so good if it's spray. If it's well, you know, you've brought up a huge topic. Which is is or, is organic food uh, considerably safer, and we'll have to do that another day. But we're very lucky here in West Marin to have so much good organic food and so many fantastic organic farmers. Yeah, I think I'm we're. I'm wondering if we could post your slides either on your blog or on Commonwealth. They're going to be posted on the Commonwealth site with the lecture. Uh, so we're happy to do that. Saja, will you also post them? Yeah, I, I have yeah. a blog. I don't, I don't have a website yet, but maybe my computer guru will help me get one. Yeah. So. <laughs> so before we thank Saja, uh, Mike Witte from Coastal Health Alliance, one of my personal heroes, and uh, your whole staff is so many of us owe so much to you. I just want to ask if you, having heard this, any thoughts or comments that you'd like to make? I learned a lot uh, and I continue to learn a lot I think that one of the things that, uh, that just keeps coming up for me is that there is just so much dynamic change and so much to learn and you can see that what Saj is talking about you know some of these studies are two weeks old and there's just there's just a lot that is developing in terms of our knowledge of, of what we put in our bodies locally, how, how important it is for us to be eating locally, how important it is to be paying attention not just to what we eat, but how much we eat, and then how, we are how our bodies are responding in terms of what we do. We get outside and we, we honor the fact that our bodies started out thousands of years ago outside all the time in Africa, right? So that there, and we haven't changed that much in 100,000 years in terms of what our bodies look like, and yet we're inside most of the time now. We're clothed a lot more, and I think we have to pay attention to how what we put in our bodies are affected by what we're doing and what we're not doing as well. And, and particularly for the generations coming up, how little they're being encouraged to do and how we need to really, re we need to change that so the nutrients we put in our bodies are going to be working effectively as well. This is really great stuff. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. So, before you all depart, I didn't pass the hat because we were so intrigued by what Saja was doing. I couldn't uh, do my usual break. But there's a, I think there's a glass jar up front and there's a hat here. We really depend on your contributions to continue this work. Um, and uh, so please, if you can, contribute do. Also, I have a strong sense that we're going to end up with some kind of small working group on nutritional supplements uh, that's working between Coastal Health Alliance and Commonweal and Saja and others. So if you're interested in that, I just put a couple of pieces of paper here next to the hat and you can put your name and email on it. Uh, and we'll also probably circulate, if we develop that, uh, how to access that working group. But it clearly is going to take many minds to uh, develop uh, what Saja has done such a great job of beginning for us. 
So, Saja, thank you again for a fabulous presentation. You've been listening to a conversation from the New School at Commonweal. Please visit our website where you can subscribe to our podcast and find further information about our guests and programs. Our website is www.commonweal.org slash new hyphen school. Commonweal is spelled C-O-M-M-O-N-W-E-A-L. Or you can go to www.commonweal.org and click on the new school and get to our program that way. Thank you for joining us at the new school.